0: Um, normally I sit down, but I can't see all you guys in the back, so I'm going to stand up so you can see me. Hello! Welcome! Um, welcome, especially if this is your first time to be with us. Um, the small team of us are starting a church, and we don't have a building yet, though hopefully, prayerfully, we'll be able to get one on 75th Avenue, which is just right over the right off the island in between Cortez and Manatee. There's an old church building there that we're trying to rent. so. Um, hopefully that's going to work out, but until then, and actually even after then, we're going to be meeting on the beach every Thursday night, unless it's uh, raining or some other natural disaster. We're we're out here, so thanks for thanks for coming out. And uh, what we do um, here at our church is we we sing, we worship God like we just did, and then we study the Bible. Um, I think one of our kind of as we're putting together the ideas for the church, like what do we want to be about? We want to fit in to the bigger group of churches in Manatee County. We want to work together with strengths and weaknesses. So we kind of thought, what is is our church kind of about? And what is like one of our, uh, I guess, mottos is the right word for it. And, um, you know, we want to be relational based on relationships. We want to be spiritual um, you know, really seeing God work spiritually in our midst, and then we want to be biblical. Those are the three things that are kind of our priorities. Um, but kind of the the slogan or the motto that I that I thought of, and uh, Josiah was like, "Yeah, that's a good one." Is uh, is this it's going to blow your mind? Keep it simple. Amen. Isn't that amazing? You're like, man, that's profound. No, that's the point. Let's keep it simple. Like we don't have to do the the flashy things and you know try to come up with a bunch of stuff, guys. What God has already given us is enough. I mean, His Son, His Word, Holy Spirit, good people, the beach. <laughs> so uh, keep it simple, and that's what we're about. But what we do is we study the Bible. We study verse by verse through books of the Bible. I've been uh, pastoring for like 20 years. I need Lynn here, she knows. She knows these details. Um what? Sounds good, Sounds good. okay. Twenty-five though? Twenty. And i uh, have been part of a lot of churches in different places around the world. Um and it and for me it always comes back to the simplicity that is in Christ. In fact, the Bible says, um Paul in talking to one of the churches says um you know you guys are being moved away he's kind of giving them a little bit of a warning and he says you're being moved away from the simplicity that is in christ you know we've added all this other stuff you know and uh to bring it back and just to have have a time where we can just study the bible and uh, sing and worship together hang out i think that's uh i think that's needed in the world today and hopefully in manatee county as well so that's what we're doing John chapter 2, so we're in John, we did uh, the book of Colossians, now we started John, we're in John chapter 2, in verse 13. And so what we do each week, we just take a, uh, a part of the scripture, like last week we did chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. And then this week we'll just finish up chapter 2. And just let the story speak for itself, and hopefully my job as a, as a pastor, as a teacher can be how does this really apply maybe to some of our lives and to our churches and we'll see how that see how it does last week was a fun one because the wedding at Cana of Galilee turning water into wine we talked about joy and all the rest and this week it was not a, not as much joy you know uh, and you'll see verse 13 it says the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and and the money changers doing business. You guys know the end of this story? When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money. He overturned the tables. And uh, remember, this is the hippie, the long hair with the, you know, Not really, though, but... Have you seen that, um... It's a meme about the grandma who has a picture of Jesus above the fireplace, but it's, uh... It's, uh... Obi-Wan, yeah. I almost said Anakin. Thanks, my son Judah. Because it looks like Jesus. (laughs) He has the braided thing. That's not what he looked like. Probably. I don't know. He said, uh... Verse 16, and, and he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Okay, just put yourself in their shoes. Like here's these guys, they've, they believe that Jesus is the Savior, that he's the promised one from the Old Testament scripture, the Messiah he's called. So they believe this. They're following him around and listening to, to him teach, watching him perform miracles, um, going to weddings with him and doing all that. And then all of a sudden, they go into the temple. The temple was the central place in Judaism in Jerusalem. It was the most magnificent building. This was called Herod's Temple, and it was so beautiful, they say, to, to look at and to be a part of. And here's all these people, and they're there for Passover because there was literally thousands of people there. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts making a scene. And he's throwing the tables and the money onto the ground, and the, he's telling the, he's getting the whip with the sheep and the oxen. And then the disciples are watching this, kind of like, uh, I don't know about if impressed is the right word, but just like, what's going on here? And it, that's, why he, that's why he says here, John says, and then the disciples remembered that zeal for his house has eaten them up. Meaning, the reason why he's acting so crazy right now is because how much he loves this temple. The reason why he's acting so zealous right now is because how much he loves this house. And to see his house corrupted drove him to action. And, that, and they remembered the passage about it um, from the Psalms. And verse 18, the Jews answered and said to him, Okay, when it says the Jews, that's referring to the religious leaders and those who were amongst the money changers and the others that were there corrupting the temple. That he's he's messing up their business. And they said to him, so when it says the Jews, that's who it's talking about. Verse 18, they answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Like, Man, what gives you the right to come into our place of worship and our place of business, really? But they're going to say our place of worship. In this holy place and do these unholy things you're doing. Throwing stuff around and whipping. And uh, so what, what, what gives you the right, basically, is what they're saying. And they want a sign. A sign is, uh, they're saying a miracle. Do something miraculous to prove that you have the authority to do this. What did Jesus do? In verse 19, he answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Remember, this is the most beautiful building in all the land. And he's saying, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And they said, it's taken forty-six years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But verse 21 says he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. That's a crazy verse. We'll get there in just a second. So kind of a familiar story, but um, as we're reading through it again, maybe with fresh eyes, it's been a while um, since going to this story. I think there's a couple things that we can apply as we read through this passage and basically Kind of the main idea that I get from this is there are certain things that are important to Jesus Christ. There are things that are important to Him. And I was thinking about this and I thought, you know what? Kind of when you're looking for a church or when you're going to a church or even a town or a job or whatever it is, you're always asking the question, what, what, what is important to me here? What do I value when I, when I gather together with these people, like, what, what do I want to, not in a bad way, but what, I wanna, what do I want to get out of this? What, why am I here kind of thing? What's important to me? The reality as I was thinking about it kind of flipped out a little bit and realized there are things that are important to God, that are important to Him. When He comes into the temple, there are things that are important to Him. It's important for Him not to see people ripping off the worshipers coming in to try to worship God and getting all their money from them. Thankfully, that doesn't happen in any of our churches in this day and age, right? Can I get an amen? Now dig deep. We're going to... I'm just kidding. There, that's important to him. When he looks at um, my life, there are things that are important to him because he cares about me. Do you like, think that was funny, Luca? Thanks, man. I'm always looking for someone that thinks it's funny. I'm like, okay. I'll just go like this. Uh, three things number one what's important to Jesus number one his house is important to him it says actually he says it's my father's house verse 16 these all come from the, the passage we just read take these things away do not make my father's house a house of merchandise in fact it wasn't just once, but twice Jesus did this in the temple. He did it at the beginning of his ministry. He, he basically had a ministry for three years. That's it. At the beginning of his ministry, he did this. He cleansed the temple. At the end of his ministry, when he, you know, Palm Sunday, when he rides into Jerusalem, and they say, Hosanna, the king, you know where he goes first thing, first stop? He goes right into the temple and does the same thing. And in that time, he says something else. He says, you are, he basically calls them a den of thieves, and he says, You have made my father's house, which should be a house of prayer for all the nations. You have turned it into a den of thieves. So he really cares about his house, and zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, let's make application today, because um, you go to Jerusalem, guess what? No temple. Hasn't been one in a long time. Um, You go to some church buildings, they're fancy, but it's not really, when we talk about the house of God, you guys know what we're talking about, right? Because we're actually meeting together with the house of God. The house of God is comprised, nowadays, is comprised of people who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the house of God. And we meet, those people meet in local churches, in buildings, on beaches, in houses. Um, I wish we had a building to meet in. We have a beach to meet on. Praise the Lord. But when, when I say, when we make application and say, Jesus cares about his house, he doesn't, it's not, I'm not talking about a building or a temple somewhere. I'm talking about- christians churches churches, and uh what really bothers Jesus I mean you think of Jesus as loving and you know he he loved he he loved even the worst sinners right that's jesus we're re- we're going to read it in the gospels he loved the worst do you know who he the only people I don't want to say Jesus ever lost his temper because He's the son of God, so he didn't lose his temper. But the Bible says, be angry and sin not. So I know he got angry. Do you know the only people he really got angry with in the scriptures? It was the people who claimed to be followers of God and leaders of God's people that were using their position and place, the temple, and authority for their own personal benefit and gain. Those were the ones that he called hypocrites whitewashed tombs and all the rest of the fancy stuff and if you looked at them man if you followed me around let's just put it this way we're being honest here we're out on the beach so you know we're not in the church building or anything so we can be honest here if you follow me around for uh, a week or two you know I'm a pastor I've been a pastor for I love the Lord You probably would see, uh, you know, someone who's trying but doesn't always uh, measure up. (laughs) Oh, that's messed up. That's my brother. He's been following me around for. How old are you? A hundred. How old are you? Over 40 years. So. You know, it's not, it's not like I'm standing up here saying, if you want to be someone that Jesus isn't going to yell at, you've got to be perfect. No, you know why I say that? Because these guys, the, um, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were there, was what they were called, and the, these other guys, if you followed them around for a couple of weeks, you would not be able to find them do anything contrary to the law and all the things that the law, on the outward appearance. I'm not even joking. They even went so far as to so a tithe is 10%. That was a part of the law. They would they would get a little plant. Um, what's a good uh, mint? I'm not. I'm no chef, but I know mints. Valuable stuff. They would get their mint and they would get their little scissors. Their plant cutting scissors, and cut off 10% of the mint and tithe it just so that in every little detail they were absolutely perfect when it came to their outward display of religion. These were the ones that Jesus got so upset with. In fact, one time he said, you strain out a gnat, meaning you're so detail-oriented on how religious you can appear to everyone else. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow, you remember what he said? A camel. That's like a Middle Eastern thing. They were like, whoa. Here in Florida, we're like, oh, okay, that's weird. But back in the Middle East, they're like, whoa. (laughs) The point he was making was, man, you guys look so good, and you're doing everything right, but you're corrupt. You're hypocrites. There's no, uh, there's no honesty. There's no, there's nothing uh, genuine here. Why why am I talking like that? That was 2,000 years ago. Man, you guys know it as good as I do. If you've been around churches, at all. There are churches that I think, and I don't want to be one of them, that's why I'm saying this. Jesus would come in and turn over the, whatever communion table or the pews the what <laughs> Oh man She said monopoly table That's cuz Michael he has a bad temper he throws the monopoly Dang put him on blast in front of the church <laughs> Woo! Hey nobody's perfect right cares about his house Um, and that's I mean when you as a pastor and it's hard not to say this and be like judgmental because a lot of there's a lot of critical people out there talking bad about all kinds of churches but the reality is there's some big problems in some churches today and what it's done what it did back then is the same thing that it's doing today when the people came to church they saw greed instead of God they saw someone up there putting on a show and <laughs> and the, the worship of God was subservient to that What was that? you know the specifics of this I'm moving on I'm almost done promise You know the thing about pastors: the bigger the crowd they get, the longer they preach. So that's not me, though. That's those corrupt churches, pastor. <laughs> what they would—this is what they were doing back then. All the thousands of Jews would come to uh, Passover these feasts in Jerusalem, and they would travel days. So when they came, they wanted to make a sacrifice in the temple of a lamb or a dove or there were the sacrificial system you read about in the old testament so they they would come all this way and someone had the genius entrepreneur idea to say hey don't bring the cow from your ranch 200 miles away leave it there or sell it there bring the money it's a lot easier to travel and when you get here We'll just sell you a similar cow so that you can use it for the sacrifice. That was what was happening. Good idea, right? What these guys were doing is they were, they were like hard. I was studying about this. They, were, they weren't good people. What they were doing, they made up some, some rules. They love to do that. They're like, well, that money from this region you came from is unholy. So what you have to do is you have to do a money exchange. That's why it's called the money changers. You have to do a money exchange from your unholy coins to this holy temple currency. Because you know God's holy, so he can only use this kind of money. And they would, like when Passover came, like we've we've traveled a little bit around the world. If you've ever traveled and had to do money exchanges, not all foreign exchange booths are the same. They see a foreigner, a tourist coming, and then the prices dit, 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 go up. That's what, that ha- what was happening. So they, the people were getting ripped off on the exchange. And then when they went to buy the nice cow that they left the Bessie at home to buy the other one, turns out you can't buy a cow for that much. These are expensive ones. These are holy ones. So they were using religion. They were using God the whole time. They were using God's name in vain. They were using God and saying, "You got to oh, you can afford this dove. Unless you really love God, then you better pay the extra money." I've heard that before. "Do you love God? Prove it. Pay the extra money." And so they were getting ripped off. And that's when Jesus came in and he didn't like it. <laughs> okay, number 1 is house. Number 2, Hey, Coast Guard. We asked them to do a flyover tonight, so, buddy, isn't that awesome that we did that? Number two is Word. Verse 18 to 22, especially verse uh, 22, it says, They believed the Scripture and the Word which Jesus had said to them. So, what things are important to Him? His house, which is us, His Word, not just the scripture, which we believe is God's word, but the words he was saying to them. And they questioned him. They said, you're saying these words to us. You're doing these things. You're saying these words. You're, you're acting like someone who has authority. What can you show us to prove that you have authority? And he, At that moment, he did nothing. But he said to them, I'll give you a sign. Destroy the temple, in three days I'll raise it up. That's what he said, right? They thought he was talking about the temple, he wasn't. What was he talking about? His body. Listen, today, he's setting up a powerful reality that has gone from that time to our time today. He didn't just want to impress them. He could have. He was doing miracles all the time. But he said something for our benefit today, because we want to believe His word. And I'm telling you this right now. People are saying today, what reason are you giving us that we should believe the word that Jesus has said? What reason? Lots of people have said lots of words. Why should we believe Him over someone else? Some other religious guru or a good prophet or teacher? What is the What sign do you show us? They asked him this all the time. At this point, he said, destroy the temple, I'll raise it up. He wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about himself. Today, the number one uh, most authoritative sign that we have and the reason why we believe is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's what, I mean, here we got a little ways to go in the rest of the New Testament. That's how much in my Bible here. Throughout the thing, especially the book of Acts, they went here and there all the way to Florida. They didn't, but they would have. And their message was this. There was a man who did miracles. He said he was the son of God. He claimed all these things. They killed him. And after three days, he resurrected from the dead, and he's alive today, and he's coming back again. That was the message. And people (laughs) were transformed because the reality is the message is true. The resurrection happened, and transformation takes place because of that. That's why I'm here today, standing before you as a pastor, even if it's not in the church, just on a beach and a lot of others around this room. I, I said room, this room. Show us a sign. There it is. And number three, so he cares about uh, his house. He cares about his word, and he, he backed it up. He backs it up. The Bible says we don't follow cunningly devised fables. I'm not, I'm a, I like to consider myself a pretty normal guy. I'm not like a religious fanatic. Sometimes I wish I was more zealous, to be honest. I'm a pretty normal guy. I'm not, um, you know, a, a conspiracy theorist. No offense to those in the room. You know, it, it's not like I'm just kind of a normal person, pretty normal, in some ways. The reality of the resurrection and the truth of my experience with God has transformed me to the point where I am not the same as I once was and I know that God is going to continue to take me on. I'm going to be with him forever. I believe that. I love when Paul was testifying before the Roman officials I love this, the history of Rome, studying about Roman government and stuff. And he testified before all these officials. And uh, I can't remember who exactly it was. A guy named Festus, I think. Nice name. These are not, um, he said to him, these are the words of truth and reason. He reasoned with him. And you know what that government official, that high up government official, said to Paul? He said, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. (laughs) You know why? Because what we believe is just not some weird fable like pie in the sky thing. It's based on actual historical fact. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If that happened, this is true. And we believe it. Maybe we still have to have faith though. Number three, he cares about his people. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them. Because he knew all men, he he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Do you know what that means? This is a trip, though. You know pastors and evangelists are always trying to get people to come to the Lord, right? Evangelistic message. All right, we love it. You do uh, outreach. Come to the Lord, accept Jesus. Well, Jesus was in Jerusalem, and guess what a lot of people did? Come to the Lord, accept Jesus. The Bible says they believed in him, in his name, when they saw the signs that he did. But it said, Jesus did not commit himself. I want to I point something out. This is not going to be in-depth, and I, I'm done now. I'm done, I promise. When it says, many believed in him, verse 23... And in verse 24, when it says Jesus did not commit himself to them, in the original language was the Greek language. The word believe and the word commit, they're translated differently. It's the exact same word. You know what that means? Many believed in Jesus. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this? But he didn't believe in them. Why? Because he knew what was in man. You know what he knew? He knew that a lot of people will say anything. They'll even believe things to be true. But when you get right down to the heart of the matter, there's nothing genuine there. (laughs) That's why the Bible says examine yourself. Just because you go to church and grew up in a Christian town or a Christian home or whatever and say, you know, you love the Lord, that does not mean that you have a real relationship with God. There's actually a verse that says, you believe in God, you do well. But even the demons believe and tremble. (laughs) Do you know that Satan believes that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died for the sins of the world, was resurrected on the third day, and has promised to come back again? All those things I just said, Satan believes with all of his heart. (laughs) You ever trip out on that before? He believes every single word of the Bible. But I got news for you. Satan's not a Christian. He's the opposite. (laughs) What's the point? God believes in his people. And the people of God are those who not on the outside, like people say, okay, on the outside you don't look like a Christian, you don't look like a pastor, you don't look like a church, but genuinely inside... We know God. We love Him. We know Christ. We believe. And we trust that He's died for our sins and that He rose from the dead. All right, that's it, uh, that's it for tonight. Maybe a song? Quinn, are you singing? You need the microphone?